invite you to find your Bibles and open with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, what does this man, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Well, this morning, church, I want you to know it really is sweet to be able to be with you, to see you, and uh, particularly the kids this morning. Really glad to have the kids in the service gathering with us on this resurrection morning as we remember that our Savior is alive. And I see many of the kiddos are remembering in by dressing up really nice and wearing more colorful clothing. Some of us have even tucked in our shirts this morning. It is that special of a Sunday. Uh, I want you kiddos to know you look good. Nice work. Nice work, parents. I know what you did. Um, it really is sweet to be with you. It feels like celebration. It feels like family. It's also good to see those of you who are joining us who are family members, perhaps from out of town, perhaps I know we have a number of people who are on vacation around this time of year and have sort of made Cross Point Coast their home when they're in Brevard County. It's really sweet to be with you. And you just remind us that the church goes beyond uh, just this particular fellowship, that the church that God has made, that Christ has accomplished, is far larger and far more beautiful than what we get to see week in, week out. So thank you for gathering with us this morning. I do hope you'll leave your Bibles open this morning to Mark chapter 2. We've made it all the way to Mark chapter 2. Congratulations, church. Uh, Here we are in our passage in Mark on this Easter morning. We'll look at our Savior and his power to forgive sin. The very power that is at work to raise Jesus from the dead works to cleanse us of our sin. This is what we celebrate and remember this morning in our passage in Mark. The resurrection, the greatest of the miracles recorded in the scripture, the resurrection is set alongside of all the other miracles that are recorded as a confirmation that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. The resurrection stands as a visible testimony to the reality of what God has done in the human heart. 
The resurrection tells us that Jesus is alive today, not only to secure forgiveness, but to secure life for all who believe, who place their faith in him. So let's turn to our passage this morning. And as we make our way to chapter two, in chapter one, we've seen a a sort of movement of building, a movement that began with Jesus's baptism. He then immediately goes out and calls disciples. He teaches in the synagogue. He's identified by and then casts out a demon. He cures a fever, lifting the woman out of the bed. He heals various diseases and casts out demons all throughout the evening. He touches a leper and makes the leper clean. And now, this morning, by the time we get to chapter 2, he forgives sin. Do you see the momentum? Do you see the building? Do you see why Mark, I always think of, of the Gospel of Mark as almost like, a, uh, almost like a, a comic book. Like you have all these quick little panels with short phrases and immediately this and immediately that and then this and now the declaration that Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we move to this panel that we would see the glorious reality, your incredible claim to have authority to forgive, the authority of God himself to forgive sin. Lord, we pray that you would impress upon us the truth of your word, that we would see it there and have to do business with you, your truth, your gospel this morning. We pray that your spirit would do business with us and that you would open eyes, you convince hearts, and that all of us would come to join in the praises that are spoken of at the end of this passage, that we would glorify your great name. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to briefly set the scene for us this morning. Jesus has been going from town to town throughout Galilee. He's there preaching the good news of the kingdom, right? This is what he says that he's gone out to do, and so that's what he's doing. Now, following the cleansing of a leper at the end of chapter 1, Jesus is forced out of the towns and now has to remain in the desolate places outside of the towns. And the people are continuing to come to him out there. Now, after that sort of ministry tour throughout Galilee, Jesus returns to his home in Capernaum. I'm inclined to understand that Jesus made his home with Simon Peter's mother-in-law following Peter's call as a disciple and following his entrance into her home and his healing of her of the fever in the previous chapter. We're told that many gathered together at the home, and in our passage this morning, as he returns back there, we're told that Jesus was preaching the word to them. Please look at it with me. I want to make sure you see it in the word for yourself. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And when it was reported, as the town began to find that out, right, many gathered together so that there were no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Now, that's what he did in all the places that he went, and here he is at home, still doing the same thing, preaching the word. One of the things that I appreciate is that Jesus has already been preaching in Capernaum. Didn't they listen the first time? He's already preached there. What more does he have to say? Is, this, is it sort of the same sermon on repeat? No. 
people wouldn't have kept coming back just to hear the same thing. They already heard it, and now they know Jesus is the Christ, and something about the kingdom of God or something. But rather, Jesus is teaching them because the gospel that Jesus has to share with us, the gospel that we understand ourselves from the word, is both simple and profound. The gospel can be boiled down to a simple sentence, and yet it can be explored over the course of centuries. And this is Jesus going into that exploration with them. Here again, in Capernaum, Jesus is laying before all who would listen the beautiful depths of the gospel that it's found throughout the whole of the scriptures. John Owen speaks of the, the doctrines and the precepts of the Bible that Jesus surely was unpacking as he's holding forth the word. He says, it's more simple elements, and I'll paraphrase, such as the spirituality of God's law, the inability of rites and ceremonies or just simple religious practices to purify the heart. Surely he spoke on the necessity of repentance, picking up the theme of John the Baptist who went before him. A radical reformation of life. Surely he spoke on the nature of the messianic reign. If he's speaking about the kingdom of God, surely he has to speak of the king of the kingdom. These were the themes doubtless elaborated upon. And as he's unpacking these many beautiful themes of the word, the themes of the gospel of the kingdom of God, they came. Verse 3, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. People were coming, and then Mark singles out a group of five people who came, four men carrying a bed with a paralytic. I found something here as I explored this passage that honestly I didn't fully expect to find when I read it the first time. But I think that we have for ourselves in this passage the theme of faith, hope, and love. These threefold, unified theme of faith, hope, and love. In verses 1 through 4, we see an interplay of these beautiful, precious Christian attributes. The attributes that really are the attributes of the gospel at work in the Christian life. We see the hope, right? We see their hope for healing for their friend. It was sparked by the news that made its way around the city that Jesus was back. So the, a hope began to spark within them. They spoke with their friend and said, what if, we, what if we carried you? Then would you go? All four of us, we're going together. And they hoped together. We see their love for their friend that compelled them. Four men, without this particular need, Four men loved one man and brought, them, brought him to Jesus. And then on account of their faith, which is fascinating to me, we could explore that for a while, on account of their faith, Jesus forgives and heals. Faith, hope, and love all at work in this passage. One of the things that struck me is, is just how audacious these four men's labor was. As these four men not only carried a man to Jesus, but they, they couldn't get in the door. It was jam-packed, and so they went up on a roof, and then they began to tear apart the roof large enough to let a man through with his bed. That's audacious, okay? There is a sacrifice that's going on here. Essentially, they became vandals, vandalizing a home that Jesus was in with dirt falling down 
Rubble falling into the... Imagine this. There is a sacrifice that these men are making to go to Jesus. I was reminded of the passage that we looked at on Good Friday from Song of Solomon 8-7. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. These men were willing to trade everything, including their reputation in the community, on account of love. Their love for this man. And they wanted to see him healed. These men were willing to make fools of themselves, destroy property, come to Jesus with a boldness as great as the leper's approach from last week, right? Shouldn't have happened that way. But the leper came nonetheless. It shouldn't have gone down like this. But these men were determined on account of love. The four men who carried the paralyzed friend clearly loved him. Why else would they take all these risks? Their hope and their love was so visible when they made their appearance from the rooftop, by the way, right? That Jesus called it faith. He saw their faith. What would these men not do for their friend? Some have suggested that faith is a leap in the dark. It's as simple as a jump. I disagree. As I read this passage, faith seems more like climbing a mountain. These men take step after step, literally carrying their friend up to a rooftop. There are so many barriers and obstacles to overcome. How far were they going to carry their friend? Is he willing to admit that after all these years of paralysis, he still longs for restoration? Is he willing to admit it? On that day, what were the conversations like between these four men and their friend on that morning? Are they really? Is the plan actually to go on top of the rooftop, vandalize the place, and let him down through the roof? Is that really what they're going to do? The whole town is going to see us making fools of ourselves, but they're willing to climb that mountain. Now everyone will know that they are followers of this new teacher, Jesus. And they climb through each one of those obstacles, the mountain of faith. It's no less faith for the paralytic to be carried than it is for the men to carry the pallet. Faith puts on display not only our boldness, but also our weakness. You see, there were four bold men on that day. And you have to admit, there's something bold about being the paralytic there. But there's also something inordinately weak about the paralytic on that day. He was willing to be seen being dropped through a ceiling. Faith is both bold and weak. Kent Hughes writes, They believed... Together, these five men, they believed that Christ was the only way. Their belief wrought first persistence, an invincible determination. Secondly, they would not be denied. It also brought creativity. They were bold to come at all. They found that not only was the house full, the door was blocked. And so they got creative. How are we going to get in there now? It's blocked. Let's just go home and wait till tomorrow. No. What if we tore through the roof? Which one of them said that? You know, 
What if we broke the roof down and let the bed through the ceiling? So they found a way. And it was also sacrificial. It was going to cost them. This is the nature of faith. He continues writing, do we believe Christ is the only way? Has our belief wrought persistence in our lives? Has it brought about creativity? Has it brought about sacrifice? Do we truly love our families, our neighbors, and our weekday colleagues that we would be persistent and creative and sacrificial to bring them to Jesus? This hit me like a ton of bricks this morning. So I was reflecting upon what I knew I would find when I got here with you at 10 o'clock or so (laughs) this morning. Some of you are in this room today because somebody brought you here. Somebody convinced you that this morning would be a good morning for you to come on in. Particularly on this Easter morning, some mother, some father, some son, some daughter, some friend, some coworker has asked you to join them at church this morning because their hope is kindled, because they've found a healer, and it's love. Hear this, friend. It's love that has compelled them to bring you. Someone here truly believes that Jesus can heal what actually ails you. And so you've been brought here on this Easter morning to hear from Jesus that you would be healed of your greatest need and that you too would be forgiven of your sin. I know that's bold to say. And I hope that no one feels more called out than Jesus calling out a man being dropped through a ceiling on that day. Please don't quickly discount the mountain the mountain of faith, hope, and love that has boldly brought you here. The fact is that we all, every single one of us, need a small group of friends that are willing to bring us to Jesus in our greatest need. So very often we are unable to bring ourselves. I think of Jesus In his great moment of need, just in the previous chapter, he is being tempted by Satan himself. And Jesus was able to recall the word and hold it out in the face of temptation. But uh, friends, I wrote in my notes, that is all too rarely the case for me. If I was faced with Satan himself, that just wouldn't be the case for me. But there have been times in my life that I have been faced with temptation and weakness. And a small group of friends around me when I was too weak carried me to Jesus again. I love to say that our business is to point our community to Jesus Christ and that begins by pointing our own hearts, by preaching the gospel to ourselves early in the morning. I would love to say that we do that well. But so very often we fail to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need brothers and sisters around us over and over again, who will carry us to Jesus. I would call all of us to cultivate the way that my college president, Jay Kessler, used to talk about when he preached on this passage, and it was one of his favorite passages to preach on. He called them stretcher bearers. Who are the men and women who will bear you to Jesus when you are at your weakest and unable to go yourself? Who are the people of faith that will carry you by their faith 
to Jesus and drop you down whether you like it or not. How bold is their pointing? Friends, that's the whole point of our church. This church's name is Cross Point Church. Our business as a church, our mission, is to point our community to Jesus Christ. I already said it's to point ourselves to Jesus, but we also point one another and the people in our community to Jesus. And sometimes that means climbing the mountain of faith to boldly bring someone to Jesus, to preach the gospel, make known the word. word. I think of a time in my life that was my weakest, shortly after my parents' divorce. I was a believer. I knew Christ. I knew the truth. I, I knew the reality of my sin, and I knew the reality of Jesus' forgiveness for me. But I decided after my parents' divorce, I would try on sin just a little bit more than I would try on faith. I just, try, I just picked up cussing a little bit in seventh grade, you know. I decided to tell a couple dirty jokes. I decided to kind of try that on a little bit, see how it fit, because I was in a distress. It was a very difficult time for me. And on one week, I know I've shared this story with you before, but let me share it again. One week, I, I came to a Sunday service, invited by my brother's youth pastor, and I was freaked out. I'm like, this is the, I'm not doing this. I'm, this is way too messy for me. My parents aren't going to be here with me. I, my parents weren't going to church at the time. And, and this isn't really going to work. And there were two young men, two high schoolers that were standing in the hallway there. And they saw me. They came up to me and introduced themselves. And we're just making small talk. And they said, hey, tonight we're going to be having this lock-in. You want to come? And I'm like, okay, let's think about this for just five seconds. I'm in seventh grade. I'm talking to high schoolers, and you're asking me to spend the next 24 hours with you that I've never met before, and I'm already feeling super insecure. No. (laughs) You know what I mean? Easy math. And they saw it on my face. They saw that this man, boy, was paralyzed. I was really weak. And Chad And a guy, Jim, who was with him, we came to call him Jesus Jim because he was so bold. Chad, he says, well, what about this? What if I, and he was tall, tall and lanky. He said, what if I did a somersault in the hallway here? Now, that wouldn't be that big of a deal if it was a hallway out here, but this was an old Baptist foyer hallway, okay? Nice red carpet. And he was gonna do a somersault with his big lanky body down the hallway. And I said, Like, that's what you're going to do to get me to come? And he said, I'll tell you what, if I do it, you're coming. And he did. (laughs) Stupid. Bold. But I'll tell you, Chad and Jim, I watched them over and over. Not just for me, who went that night and heard the gospel again. And remember, this trying out sin is foolishness. What I need isn't to try out sin. I need to to be reminded of repentance and forgiveness of sin. I watched them over and over and over again make fools of themselves to bring little guys like me to Jesus. Friends, what we need is faith, hope, and love to point our community to Jesus Christ. Now, as these men do this, as they bring the paralytic to Jesus, they let him through the ceiling. In verse 4, when they could not get near to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an open, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Friends, if you were writing the script for this, like if you were making it up, you know, that's not the sentence that comes next. 
That's not what anyone in the room, including the four men and the paralytic, were expecting from Jesus on that day. And so I would ask the question that comes up very quickly, who can forgive? In verse 5, as the dust from the roof falls in the midst of the crowd, and a man is lowered into their midst. Remember, it's packed out. It's not like some of the dust from the ceiling just fell on an open space in the ground, right? It's falling on their heads and on their laps. Jesus announces something that was more shocking. You notice nobody said, what in the world's going on with the ceiling? What's wrong with these guys? No, they missed that. And they went right to the real shocking reality on that day. Who in the world can say, son, your sins are forgiven? We understand what Jesus says here by looking at what follows. Look at verse six with me. Now, some of the scribes, some of the religious leaders were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Now, I do want to note that the scribes were sitting and questioning. In a room, standing room only, we have a group of leaders who are sitting. Now, this makes sense. It's an honored position. But we will see in the coming chapters, Jesus increasingly coming to combat the arrogance and the self-righteousness that's subtly noted here in their sitting in a room that was standing room only. I wonder perhaps if they shouldn't have been in the streets looking for others who might be carried into the midst of Jesus. I'm reminded of what Jesus himself says just a little later on in Mark chapter 10. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tell you who had the honored position on that day. Four men tearing apart a roof, and a man on a bed. Who can forgive sin, they ask. It's a good question. I don't fault the scribes at all for asking the question. In fact, it's the question that you and I should be asking this morning. It's the most important of all questions. So what's the problem? What's the problem with the scribes in this passage? It's not the question. It's that they didn't believe. They asked the question, and the answer is in the question itself. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Are they listening to the teaching of Jesus? Will they pay attention as it becomes more and more clear throughout his life unto his cross and in his resurrection? I wonder if any of the scribes who didn't believe on that day believed when they saw him raised. When they saw him raised. They didn't believe. And Jesus asks, why do you question these things in your heart? Jesus, he knows their spirit. He, you can see it on their faces, and Jesus knows. He perceives, why do you question these things? There's a turning point here, and the turning point is the hinge of faith. It's the watershed moment that says, on this side of the mountain, you go this way, and on this side of the mountain, you go the other way, and the watershed is faith. It is the divide between those who did not believe 
and those who received forgiveness of sin on that day. Would they believe or would they harden their heart? These are the only two ways. A small number of the Pharisees, I don't know if they were the people in the room on that day or not, but a small number would believe. They continue to ask questions. Think of Nicodemus, right? And there are others who would believe, but most, as we will quickly see, turn aside with hardened hearts. We'll come to this in a minute, but it really is a serious question. Who can forgive? You see, Christianity not only claims that there is such a thing as sinners, and it just so happens that that is a good description for every single man, woman, and child. All have sinned. All fall short short of the glory of God. We are all rebels. We have all shaken our fist in the air and said, God, on my own, I can live. I know what happiness looks like. I tried it on when I was in seventh grade. I remember, just a kid, on my own, I can do this thing. Who can forgive? You see, Christianity not only claims that all are sinners, but Christianity makes an even more outrageous claim than that. Not only are all sinners, but you can be forgiven of your sin. That's outrageous. It's no small thing. It claims, it makes a claim that only God himself can make. You see, our sin is not ultimately against one another. Our sin is against a holy God. Only God can make a claim like that. Can your sins really be forgiven? On what authority can your slate be washed clean? Here's the real miracle in this passage. Which is easier, Jesus says. Look at verse 9 with me. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Which is easier? Verse 10. But that you may know. Jesus does this a number of times when he's narrating his own gospel story. He tells us why he does something. Why does he say, son, your sins are forgiven, when that's not even what they were there for? But so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Which is easier? Well, I'll tell you which is easier. It's a lot easier to say the word, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, and your sins are forgiven. It's super easy. Test me. Prove it's not. Prove your sins aren't forgiven. And you would ask a valid question. Prove that they are. Who gives you authority to say that? How do, you, how do you know that my heart is clean before God? You can say that all you want. But on, on that day, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a testimony that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That man, paralytic, lowered through the ceiling, he could not walk. That man's going to get up and walk. And when he got up and walked, the scandal was that Jesus had forgiven sin. This is the real miracle that is behind all of the miracles. It's the whole point of the miracles. G- Peter does the same thing in the book of Acts. All of the miracles are there to tell us something about something we cannot see and we would not believe otherwise if there wasn't a paralytic up and walking, if there wasn't a dead man raised on the third day. But because of this, we know 
that man's sins. They were forgiven. Only God can do that. On this day, he gives not only the paralytic a miraculous gift, he teaches everyone in the room, all who can read this account today, so everyone in this room as well, he has shown us he has authority to forgive sin. Watershed moment. Do you believe it? You're a sinner, and you know it. Do you believe that Jesus has authority to forgive sin? Whatever it is that's brought you here this morning, know this. Your greatest need and the true miracle is forgiveness of sin. The grace of Jesus in this passage is not only that he heals a paralytic, and it's beautiful. His kindness and tenderness is profound. Not only that he forgives him of his sin, but that he's taught us today that same hope, that we might have that same faith. Who is the son of man? The son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. I want to give this to you very briefly. It's the son of man who forgives sins. That's who he is. We find the son of man It occurs over 80 times in the New Testament, and only two times it comes out of someone else's mouth other than Jesus. R.C. Sproul notes of the Son of Man, where we find him described in Daniel chapter 7, and it matches a beautiful description that we find also in Revelation. R.C. Sproul writes, he is, the Son of Man is, a heavenly being appointed by the Ancient of Days to be the Lord of the earth. And to receive the kingdom forever. No wonder Jesus preached that he was the son of man. Because he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The son of man having descended from heaven. Returns there and is enthroned in glory. As the one who has captured a people for himself. That the father has given to him. In our passage today we discover that the kingdom of the son of man. Is the kingdom with Jesus as the king of forgiven sinners. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is the son of man who forgives the sins of all who are in his kingdom. Friend, one of the problems in the church, one of the problems that arrives so quickly that Jesus goes at in that Mark chapter 10 passage that I keep referencing is that we get the sense that the kingdom, the people who really belong to the king, are the self-righteous. Oh. The kingdom is made up of a people who have been forgiven by the king. The kingdom is where the king exercises his power. And that's the power of the son of man. Jesus alone is sufficient to save. He alone, by his sacrificial death on the cross, in the place of sinners, has made a way for sinners to be forgiven of their sin. That's the way of the king. It's the power of the king in his kingdom. The call is to come to him, not with a generic faith or hope, but to come to him because we know the means of his grace. You see, the men that came to Jesus on that day and lowered the man through the roof, they did not fully understand, see, or have yet revealed how Jesus would do anything. They just knew he was doing it, and they came. But we've seen it. We've seen the cross. We know how grace works now. We've seen the resurrection. We have the account of our hope. And so our hope is not generic in the man who does amazing things. 
Our hope is in the Christ who is the risen Son of God. We know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And though through Jesus' death on the cross, he's forgiven sin, not just announced it, but done it. And in doing so, he's reconciled sinners to himself. This morning, I want you to know the forgiveness of sin. I want you to hear, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. I think that's beautiful. It's sufficient to say that it would be beautiful. He said, hey, buddy. Hey, man on the cot. Hey, guy through the ceiling. Your sins are forgiven. But he calls him son. Tender. He brings the broken man into his family by forgiving his sins. Do you get that? This isn't just a legal exchange. This is a new family reality. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the paralytic becomes a part of the family of God. Today I call you to confess your need for Jesus and he will speak these words to you. Child, your sins are forgiven. A few months ago, Joel, Justin, and I, the lead pastors of Cross Point Coast here in Brevard County, we were talking about this sermon series, kind of lining up the dates and planning the first seven or eight sermons in the series, and we wanted to lay out the passages that we could preach all the way up through Easter, and we realized we were going really slowly, so we kind of mapped it out and found that we would be at the beginning of chapter two on Easter, And it might seem odd to simply continue a sermon series even on Easter. I mean, why not take a little break, go to one of the great resurrection passages, maybe go to the lamb on the throne in Revelation, right? And we could have done that. But this is what we saw when we read this passage this morning. The man getting up and walking is evidence that you may know. Jesus heals the man so that the paralytic and the crowd and you and I would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. The resurrection is the evidence that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross worked. It's the evidence. It is the glorious reality that Jesus, being alive, declares that Good Friday worked. There really is forgiveness of sin. He really has conquered sin and death. The whole purpose of the cross and resurrection, the whole purpose of Easter is the forgiveness of sin. And I'm reading this passage and studying it and preparing for this morning and thinking we couldn't have picked a better one. (laughs) But a glorious hope to remember on Easter Sunday, the forgiveness of sin You see, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you've not trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, know today that he's able. Know today by the miracle of the resurrection that he is able to accomplish forgiveness for you like he did on Good Friday. Today is the day for you to repent of your sin and believe in the gospel. And I would call you today, I know you're listening, 
Don't wait another minute. May Easter 2021 be a day of rebirth. It's honestly been hard for me to read the news. Everybody's talking about rebirth, spring, new life, and everybody's making all kinds of things about this pastel holiday. Fun stuff. Meaningless compared to the glorious reality of that for today, Easter Sunday could be more than pastel for you. It could take, be the day that you take hold of the grace of God by faith. I know that there are many in this room that remember that Easter day or that other day that that was true for you. May this day also serve as a Christian for those who have walked with Jesus for many years. Don't forget his power to forgive. This so often happens for many of us. It did for me in seventh grade. And it has many times since. Perhaps we've piled up a weight of sin that we're trying to carry on our own to the cross. The call today is to lay down your burden before the Savior and hear him say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Lay it down today. Heavenly Father, I pray that in this very moment, you would work your grace in the midst of the congregation. I pray that you would do the kindness of convicting of sin. The kindness of showing us who we really are. And you would do the work of preaching to our hearts the gospel. That your spirit would convince us the son of man has authority to forgive sin. I pray on account of the fact that you are alive that glorious biblical testimony testified to by many witnesses, affirmed to us through the word and by your spirit that today there is life for all who believe. I pray that Easter 2021 would be a day that many in this room take hold of you by faith and are forgiven and granted life. And that for every one of us, we would be buoyed in our hope that our faith would be affirmed and we would lay down our striving at self-righteousness and that you would forgive that as well. That we can walk out of here of people who are dancing because Jesus has made us alive. You've met our deepest needs. Thank you, Lord. Fill up our song. Fill up our remembering. Fill up our praise and fill up our lives with rejoicing. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your great name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.